So what's up, everybody? And thank you again for joining me today in DJ Dreams DJ slash Producers Lounge podcast show. I want to welcome you guys once again. Thank you. Thank you. We have a special guest today. It's one of my buddies from uh, from back in the days and to this day, present time. So let's give him a call and let's see if we can get our friend here, Mike Chavez, Mike Nebula, Michael Anthony to join us. Here we go. Hello. 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 Who's this? This is Victor. Victor. Oh, Victor. Oh, Choa. Victor Choa Dream? DJ Dream, yes. Okay, good. <laughs> I was m- nervous for a minute. I thought it was a collection agency. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's pretty commonplace for uh, collectors to have Victor name. <laughs> right? Especially in these times. I haven't paid bills in a while, so it was good to hear a nice face on there or a good voice on the side of the line. Cool, cool. So uh, how you doing? Uh, oh, before I go on, I uh, just want to... Go ahead and present you. It's the legendary, the one and only Mike Chavez. The other cool name that you had was Dr. Love. Your DJ name was Nebula. I remember Nebula Sound Productions. I want to welcome you and thank you for uh, joining me in this podcast show that I started uh, maybe a few weeks ago. And uh, I I was telling myself, who could I have? I go, oh, I got to definitely pencil in Mike Chavez to be part of this uh, thing because uh, you're you're, you're a legend to me. And like I said, I kind of consider you as a mentor. And when I started out with this uh, DJ career or DJ life that I (laughs) chose to have. So welcome. Welcome, Mike. Man, well, man, that was very, very humble and nice of you. And, you know, I appreciate all the, the love that you're throwing my way. Um, now I just got to clean my face. <laughs> wow. Cool. <laughs> well, again, thank you, brother, for joining me. Um, I wanted to just let you know this. This is uh, we did speak before the show and I kind of give you a little rundown of the show. Um, it's about DJing. It's, a, it's a, this show partakes uh, um, about DJing slash producers, too. Um, I've, I've had episodes with a couple of producers out there, too. Music producers. Um but you're definitely in the DJ world, in the DJ room. You taught me a lot, and, and not so much as DJing, just the whole party scene, the whole flyer party scene, and gear. And, and actually, this is the, one of the reasons I wanted to also talk to you. Because to me, I was like, what, what topic should I have with Mike? And I'm like, you know what? Why not talk about him, his history? And, I mean, let's, let's be honest, you were also known for your sound system. I mean, it was quite cool. And, and you were, to me, you represented the Valley, the San Fernando Valley. So to me, it was like, that's ours. You know what I mean? Like, cause we're all, like I said, I grew up in the San Fernando Valley as well. So to me, it was like, there was LA, LA Bayside sound systems or, or crews. And I was like, well, what do we have? Well, we have Mike Towers. We have Nebula. And uh, to me, that was like, yeah. And, and, and obviously you, I feel like I'm talking all the, all the time. I'm sorry, Mike. I'm, I should let you. <laughs> no, actually, let's talk really quick about, um, we'll touch base on the sound. Yes. But I'll give you a little quick history about how I got into the DJ world. And before I jump into the DJ world mm-hmm. um, and how it started for me, I just want to say, uh, I just want to give a lot of kudos to you, too, as, as well, Vic. You know, also known as Dream and, you know, all the yeah. things that you've done. Let me tell you something. I remember when I first met you, you were just a youngster. Yes. And uh, I remember playing at a couple of gigs and going to your house and we were talking and stuff. Mm-hmm. But you know what? You came a long way, too. I mean, you've also been a mentor to a lot of people and you you've inspired me in a lot of positive ways and i see what you do you went from you know djing you threw a couple of parties here and there but Mm -hmm. you're into the music production you like you produce music so you even took it a a level that i'm i i dream one day to do if i can you know still do that but you know um vic you know if anybody ever meets you personally i'm honored to have you in my life because you're a very humble person you're cool and you you have a great sense of humor bro (laughs) you know that's you know look let's face it man but the way things are right now in life you do need humor in your life you do whether and the best humor is sometimes just having humor on your own you know you could talk all the crap you want about yourself and no one's gonna 
thank you on yourself at night. You know, like, hey, <laughs> right. why did you say that? You know? Most definitely. But, you know, I appreciate it. And uh, you're a very down-to-earth person. And when I listen to your shows, too, bro, you, you got you to gotta really, like, I wish in a lot of ways that I had that kind of personality the way you have it. You have it down-to-earth. Oh, so I just wanted you. to throw that at you. Thank you. And to all the listeners, you know, to let them know that you're an amazing host and you do a great job when you talk to people. Now that, uh, you know, I put a lot of helium in your brain, let's go back to what I was doing. <laughs> I know. <laughs> let, let me bring myself down here. <sighs> okay. Yo, thanks a lot, Mike Nebulosi. That's all I wanted to hear. Woo! I know. Good night. No, no, continue, I, please. I'll, I'll break it down really quick. I got into the DJ world uh, when I went to Sun Valley Junior High. I was in seventh grade. So I was 13 years old. I went to my first uh, high school Valentine's dance. I mean, I'm sorry, junior high school dance with one, my best friend. His name is Danny. <laughs> We went to the dance, right? Mm -hmm. And uh, I swear, honest to God, it was like a scene from the nerds, like Revenge of the Nerds or the Nerds. <laughs> we had glasses, a shirt, you know, button-up shirt, pocket holder full of pens or pens, you know what I mean? Right. Nobody, nobody asked us to dance. We, I would ask, you know, 10 girls and they would look at me and laugh and go, oh, no, it's okay. And we struck out, me and my friend Danny. Mm -hmm. So we were just sitting on the side of the DJ booth and there was this guy named Eddie, Bath Eddie, also mm -hmm. known as Saturn Sounds and may he rest in peace. Okay. And he was DJing and he was doing this funny dance and it's called the pee pee dance, you know, when you gotta go to the bathroom and you move around a lot. <laughs> and he was doing that and we were we were laughing at him, me and Danny, because I go, Danny, I bet you this guy has to go to the bathroom and we were looking right at him and all of a sudden mm -hmm. if it wasn't for that one look, Eddie looked right at me and Danny mm -hmm. and he like called us over, he goes, Kid, get over here and, and we're like pointing at each other like us and he's like, Yeah, you two can get over here. I'm like, Oh shit. So we went over there uh -huh. and he goes, You guys are young, you know all the good music. Here's all the latest music. I gotta was a bathroom you know play some records this is what you do and he was playing 45 dude 45s with the little plastic ninja yellow ninja star remember that yeah yeah and um the little ninja so, star <laughs> the 45 yeah, the adapter right 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 the yellow one yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh -huh. so you know as kids you already know how to do that because look at the, what the kids could do today right we picked up on it right away and he told us really quick this is called a realistic mixer it's really expensive don't mess it up it was the one with the nine volt battery wow <laughs> i remember those yeah yeah use a 9 volt battery so he told us what to do we didn't even use earphones because we weren't really mixing we were just like slicing or you know cutting left and right that's what we would call it now right cutting right. Mm -hmm. and so Danny and I we were playing we got into it we were playing I was doing the DJ work and Danny was taking the music and we were working as a team wow. well you know a half hour goes by and we're still doing this and Eddie was just sitting down eating some food having a good time and he started laughing he goes no you guys finished the dance <laughs> and then he gets on the microphone uh -huh. he goes hey everybody it's me Fast Eddie and I got my two helpers and what's your name and then Danny got really shy he goes uh, Cracker he's like Cracker okay Cracker and what's your name and I just said it loud Mike Chavez and right when he said that everyone turned around mm. and it was just like a scene from the nerves like you know when the needle scratches goes <laughs> you know what I mean right. and everybody just turned and that's how it all started and that's really? how Nebula's Yep, that's how it all started. It was that one little moment in my life. And then from there, I met a, a you know, I started getting into the D-Day business more and more. A couple of years later, may he rest in peace. His name is uh, Adrian Rodriguez, better known as Mike Rodriguez. He started a really big, powerful San Fernando DJ group called Zap. So I went with Zap and Michael started showing me how to mix and blend. And I'm just giving you the really quick, you know, like right, uh, right, the right. fast version of all this. Mm -hmm. And then mixing with Mike, he threw this big freaking party on Van Nuys Boulevard with a very, 
very famous promoter from Los Angeles. And if you're from L.A. Mm-hmm. and you're from the 80s, 70s, you know who I'm going to talk about. His name was Ruben Valentino, better known as Electro. I remember. And uh, and Ruben and Mike do a gig together, and it was in uh, in Van Nuys. And I remember what Ru- I could tell you exactly the gear that they used to make. They crammed a kung fu karate place that mm-hmm. was owned by Benny the Jet Artidas. Mm-hmm. And uh, and it's just, you know, if anybody's listening, they go, what? So anyways, they crammed this karate studio with 600 people, dude. It was like you couldn't even, if there was a fire, we were, all would have been in big, big trouble. Oh, wow. And the only, two, big trouble. The only two speakers that they used were two V35s with an old uh, cop siren that needed a DC battery to make it run because right. they didn't have, the, you know, and it was just packed as hell. Right. And then from there, when it was, when the gig was over with, Mike said, hey, you know who that guy is? And I said, no. He goes, that's Ruben Valentino. Introduce yourself. So I went up to him and I said, hey, Ruben, my name is Mike Chavez. And I started a DJ group called Nebula. Mm-hmm. And he goes, so you want to be, what, a promoter or a DJ? And I said, I would like to be both. He goes, okay, well, if you want to be a promoter, you can start by moving my equipment right now. I'm like, okay. <laughs> you know what I mean? Right. And we stuffed two B35, an amplifier, and the light in mm-hmm. his old Cadillac, a big freaking Cadillac. Wow. It was V35 so with the Stern Vegas, right? I'm sorry, Mike. Is the yeah, the Stern Vegas with the 18-inch yeah, uh, yeah. loaded horn yes. with the big metal, the Mick Jagger lip metal. Remember the Mick Jagger lip? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Big, big metal horn <laughs> with the little... Famous four by four Fox Tech tweeter. Right. You know what I mean? Those thump, man. Those so, those speakers were awesome, man. I mean, I remember those. They were thumping. They weren't even considered subwoofers, right? They were just a full full range speaker. They, they, yeah, it was a full range speaker, and you know, with my DJ background, I also sound engineering. Mm-hmm. That was like a, a mid bass. It wasn't a heavy bottom bass, right. but it just gave it nice feel. Mm-hmm. And uh, and then from there, from working with Ruben Valentino, I did a couple of gigs with him at Club Forty Seven, Steven Steakhouse, uh, the Quiet Cannon, and then lo and behold, I did a couple of things for Ruben. And then Ruben, it was weird. It was weird things were happening. Really wonderful things happened to me in my life in those days because I went from Fast Eddie to Mike Rodriguez for Zap to Ruben Valentino and then Ruben said there's another cat I want you to meet he's going to really dig you and his name was Eddie Orlando everybody knows him as Eddie O from the Aquaman right, right. and this cat and the Teddy Boys were throwing events every week at the Florentine Gardens and let right. me tell you man in the 80s the Florentine Gardens was packed every Right. Saturday, like 2,000 plus people. One weekend, it was Aquaman throwing the event. Mm-hmm. The weekend after that was Teddy Boy. Yeah, I might. And, you know, uh, it's funny. I remember those, those, well, I, I, I couldn't go to all of them because I, I am a little, I was a little younger than you. So I, I couldn't go to a lot of these. I'm, honestly, I'd be like, I would say 80% of those parties, I couldn't go. Um, all other reasons was my parents wouldn't let me go. I'm, I'm going to be honest. But I do remember, I, I remember I would see these flyers. I'm like, man, I want to be there. I want to be. And you, you did a Halloween party at the Ramada Inn in Burbank and fuck I didn't go to that one and that was the one I wanted to go and I, I remember I heard stories my sisters went and I heard stories that it was just, you guys had it all packed and to me it was one of those things like man I, I want to be in that in, in those kind of parties and, and also remember I have a record of Stacy Q two of hearts and the, the back of the record had like a flyer style cover and your name was on it. And to me, it was I think it was on the spot records that had a Stacy Q, Two of Hearts, and you were on it and an, a, other recognizable names. But when I saw that, I'm like, man, like, damn, this is this is a shit. Do, do you remember that cover, right? The Stacy Q? Oh, yeah, dude. Damn. I remember that cover well. Yes. I, I was like, uh, you know, we're both fathers. Remember that movie Monsters, Inc.? Yeah. Remember the little green eye monster? Yes. Like every, when you see his first time, his face on the magazine, he's like, I'm on the cover. Remember how crazy he yes. went? Yeah. <laughs> 
that's exactly how I reacted when I seen the back of it. I felt like, what was his name? Mike or Wolowski? Or I forgot his name, but yeah, the yeah, guy. I know exactly what you're talking about, yeah. yeah well, I, I did that same freaking reaction. When I'd seen it, I go, I'm on the back of saving you. And I lost it, dude. And I was like screaming like a little girl. And right. my mom's like, I'm like, no. And I was like, bro, it was it was like, you start feeling like you're accomplishing things. Because, you know, all in life, you're always wondering, what am I going to accomplish? Am I going to make some kind of impact? Is something going to happen? I want to really quick on that. That Halloween gig that we did at the Ramada Inn, that right there was was actually a comeback really? before that event after there was no more like doing stuff with the aquaman you know like they were not in the florentine garden for a long stuff mm-hmm. i started throwing events in the valley and some of them went really good and then some of them went bad you know you have your your positive and your negative right but uh, the last couple of events you know before leading up to the ramada it was like i was i'm going to tell you Vic, and i didn't haven't shared this with anybody this is the first time in like 35 plus years oh, before cool. that ramada gig I was about to quit DJing permanently. Really? I was already, that was it. Like, and all of a sudden, I just said, you know, this, you know, Mike, I got that was 87. That was 1987, as, as I recall. Rest in peace, my dad. At the time, he was still alive. So I know how to be either 86 or 87, and I, he didn't let me go. He didn't let me yeah, go. Yeah, and well, see, like after we did the one, uh, the event that really got us onto the top, and it just shows you what happens in two years. So the big event that got us really up there in 86 was February 8th, mm-hmm. um, 1986, at the Sherman Square Roller Rink with the LA Dream Team. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember that. Oh, I remember yeah. that flyer. I didn't go to yeah. that one either. <laughs> Yeah, that event was sold out. And just to show you how naive and young we were, we were always used to charging five bucks. And I'm like, okay, guys, I feel like freaking that, that uh, Dr. Evil, like we're going to get ransom for $1 million. Right, and right. I started laughing like this guy. You know what I mean? <laughs> and I'm telling, I'm looking at everybody and I go, okay, guys, we're no longer going to be the $5 party. We're going to charge $8. <laughs> 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 you know what I'm saying? <laughs> That's, that's how awesome. I felt. Like you got him right. Like yeah, we got him. Like, yeah, we got him. We eight dollars, and everybody we were so young. We're like eight dollars, yeah, eight dollars. We're hitting it big, and you know I can imagine everybody else looking at like these idiots are young dumb teenagers. You know, right? right. <laughs> you know, like eight dollars. It was so packed, and then all of a sudden, you know, Hugo, he's awesome. He went by DJ Phantasm, part of Nebula. Mm-hmm. By the way, the Nebula crew was Latin Lover, Phantasm, Reckless Danny, and B-Boy. And okay. so at the door at that party, it was so packed. Hugo got so mad because somebody pulled his hair and said, let me in. And Hugo, he, he's a cool, hey, am I allowed to cuss or not really? Yeah, 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 by all means. Yeah, so this is. Or, or I'm just going to say one F word, okay? That's good. And, no, and my, that's between. fine. So, you know, if anybody out there has never heard the F word, just plug your ears really quick. So. <laughs> Right. Someone pulled Hugo's hair, and he goes, "Okay, you motherfuckers, whoever pulled my fucking hair." Oh, that's the F word twice. He goes, "I'm gonna charge now, fucking oops, three times, twenty bucks." <laughs> and I, we all looked at Hugo like the man. He lost his mind, dude. We, we really looked at him like twenty dollars. That's like a million dollars, Hugo. That's a lot of money, twenty bucks. <laughs> And people paid it, Victor. They paid well, it. Right, right. Well, yeah, I mean. <laughs> but we didn't think, you know, and then all of a sudden, everybody started yelling, oh, they're charging $20. And the people in the front said, that's that. We're going to pay the 20 bucks. And nobody left the line. We thought we were going to at least. And that night was the first time I was always used to making house parties and making good money, you know, between in the 80s, between 500 and $1,500 at a house party. Right. That night, bro, we we made 15 grand. No. Yeah, sixteen thousand wow. dollars, and I thought I was like King Kaka. I was like, "Damn, we were all." And so, just to show you what happened, though, that party was a huge lesson for me because after I lost my footing, 
after that party, I thought I was untouchable. Mm-hmm. I threw the next, the rest of the 86, a couple of gigs that I threw were flopped, fell on my face. And then we did uh, 87. We did a couple of good ones, some of the bad ones. And then the last two before we did the 88 one bombed on me. Okay. And so I was really upset at myself. And I was, re- I was reflecting back to 1986 with the LA Dream team. And I said, man, how fast two years could throw you to the bottom. And I wasn't mad at nobody. I was mad at nobody but myself. Right, I was right. just mad at myself because I let all that get to my head and um, I wasn't thinking correctly. You know, when you're young and you're a teenager and stuff like, you know, think of the kids that are doing it big right now. You can imagine all the pressure they go through. Right, right. But me and the boys, we were all like, and then so all of a sudden, the second to the last party before that 1988 one, you know, that bombed. And then I was just like riding my car. And then I just remember that Ruben Valentino threw a party at the Ramada Inn. He threw it on New Year's Eve. I believe it was in 85. Mm-hmm. And he packed the place. And ever since then, they never wanted to rent it out. So I said, you know what? What can hurt, right? I'm going to go in there and I'm just going to see if I could make some kind of business. If not, I'm going to just put up the gloves and it was a nice run. Really? So I walk in there. Yeah, bro, that was a real deal. I was just, that was it. Like I was literally last, I was running on vapor on gas. Okay. And so I just walked in there. I ran into a guy. I want to say his name was uh, Orlando. He was like white Hispanic. And it was like, he was, it was perfect timing. He became the newest manager there. They fired the old one because oh, before that. the before the Romana Inn it was called the Golden I think it was called the Golden uh, Hotel or something like that and uh, the Golden Gate Hotel and so business was in doing good went over to Ramada they hired this cat so his job was to get business going and I walked in there and I just said I'm just going to tell him the truth what I've done and you know I gave him the whole history and then the first thing he said is okay when do you want to do your first one and I was like <gasps> oh, shit. right when he said that you know what I mean like I was like and this I started talking to him like in uh, the beginning of August Mm-hmm. of 88 it goes when do you want to do your like what two weeks three weeks and i wanted to say yes but i go no mike remember why you bombed in the other one you rushed too fast if you're going to do this you better do it right so i saw i looked at the calendar and i said how does halloween sound the last weekend of october and he goes that's a long time i go look you want it to be right i gotta make it right and i told him the other bombs that i had i go i don't want to repeat this right. you know i got scars i want to i want to make it right and so this cat gave me that opportunity i hooked up with uh eddie gonzalez and alex gonzalez and they went to your school intrigue and secrecy yes you know it was a whole i remember yeah it was a whole new generation of young and actually if you think about it it was sun valley had its really nice run and they still do don't get me wrong Mm -hmm. but this popularity was due to your your crowd the burbank crowd it was the burbank crowd that freaking uh resurrected me it was the burbank people it was the people of the entire city of burbank burbank high john burles the junior high it was eddie and alex and a bunch of people uh the valentino production what was it the other one the chorizo gang you know what i'm saying And I remember, I, I, yeah, and I remember it was all those people, and it was like a second coming of Nebula, and it was because of them. It wasn't just me, but it was them. Right. And so I said, I got to surround myself with a gr- really good group of people. Well, you heard the stories. We yes. threw that event. Uh, before the doors opened up, we were already anticipating. I was already thinking we might break an even, mm-hmm. and I freaking had a bottle of Pepto-Bismol. I was drinking it like alcohol. You know what I mean? <laughs> My stomach was rocking. Sad story. I must have just cropped it a bunch of people that night. <laughs> wow. And it was so, it was so Mike. Tommy was like, yeah. So based on that date, um, was, was was that, would you say that that was the one that triggered? Cause I remember, I remember from there on, you started doing a lot of ter- teddy bear nights and you started doing, um, yeah. Woodbury at the Woodbury college. Yes. Those, yes. Yeah. Those were bomb ass, man. You, those were, yeah. Yeah. 
you, you, uh, the Woodbury party started like in 89, 90, 91, 92. Right, right, right. You know what I mean? Like, so because yeah. of that gig at, at the Ramada Inn, that was like, and then this time I said, this time I'm just going to grab the bull by the horns. I'm going to hold on to it as long as possible. Mm-hmm. And just from doing these events with, you know, your entourage and the people that also worked with you and stuff like that. And also remember the, the, the name Nebula. Like I remember so many people, oh, Mike, it's Nebula. You know, mm-hmm. I didn't want it to get it to my head. I didn't want my head to fill up. And I said, no, I'm not going to let this happen again. Again, I'm not going to repeat history, but then all of a sudden, that was the birth of my sound system, and right. you know where this is going to go. Yes. And all of a sudden, every time that I threw an event, I started buying speakers more and more and more. And so one day, one of the guys from Nebula, he went by uh, Phantasm Hugo Maldonado. His father, Rafael Maldonado, worked at Cern Vega. Oh, and really? Ralph would say, "Yeah." This is the one in uh, Simi, Va- Simi Valley, right? Cern Vega was located in Simi Valley, correct? I mean. At that time, they were already, they moved, okay, so during that transition, mm-hmm. when 88 happened, in that year, at that time, they were already tra- going from Arlita to Simi Valley. They used to have a shop in uh, Arlita oh, okay. by the golf course. Oh, okay, okay. So they moved to Simi Valley. So Ralph, uh, Hugo's father, made an appointment for me to talk to Gene Sternwin. He's uh, the founder of Cern Vega. And when I was talking to him, well, anyways, long story short, I go to Cern Vega, make the meeting with him. I start talking to him. He just looks at me. I swear to God, dude, I thought I was talking to like Yoda with long hair. You know what I mean? Like he looked right at me. Right. He looked like he was constantly chewing tobacco or chewing something. I don't know if it was gum or candy or just chewing. And he had these cool, cool 70s fat ass sunglasses. And he literally looked like uh, his ears were pointing out of his hair, kind of like uh, the mm-hmm. Hobbit. You know what right, I'm trying right, to say? Right. Like, wow. Very right. cool. Mm-hmm. And uh, he, he was like uh, Yoda. And he just looked at me, he started smiling. And he was like, hold on, hold on. Just a, he had a hard accent. He just said, hold on. And then he brought his son, Steven Sterwinski. Mm-hmm. And he, he said something to his son, Steven Sterwinski. Mm-hmm. And then Steven looked at me and he smiled. And then uh, Mr. Sterwinski, God bless him, he looked at me and he gave me the thumbs up. And he just nodded his head and he went back up into the, the factory of Stern Vega. And so Steven came up to me, the son of Stern Vega. And he looked at me and he goes, you said something to my dad. And I got nervous. I was young. I was like, oh, God. And I said, I, he goes, no, whatever you said to my father, he instantly loved you. So my father wants me to make sure that you're well taken care of in your sound needs. Wow. Just like that. And then right there, I said, okay, Mike, you need to do this right. Because I learned so much from 1986. I was on the pinnacle of like, wow, and then so flat on my face. And then when I started getting into sound, that's when we threw that, uh, the event over there at the National Guard. Right. And as a matter of fact, you and uh, and Jose, right? Right, right. We performed, uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, you guys performed there with uh, Carl, you know, DJ Hayes. Yeah, yeah, no. Oh, I, I, I remember that. that, definitely. I actually Dude. even have a video of that, that whole... Uh... Yeah, I remember the famous one when he wrote, now is the time to let yourself go. Now is the time, time to, to let yourself go. go. Remember yeah, that? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, yeah. well, supposedly that day, um, uh, something, I, I was talking to, to Hayes, to Carl a while back, and I told him that I had that video, and he's like, oh, man, I would love to see it. And I don't, I, we never got a chance to get a contact you with gotta, him again. You know what? If you got that video, you got to do something with it. You got to put it on YouTube or Facebook right. so the world can see how it happened. So right. that video right there, that event, which happened in 92, mm-hmm. it was on video. You have it. Yes. Well, that video, I don't know how it got circulated. But it landed in some guy's hands named Javier, a mm-hmm. brave promoter known as Fresh Start. Okay. 
Okay, so this guy named Javier and Allen, they were throwing these raves, and these were the true where they would break into a warehouse rave. They really broke into warehouses, mm-hmm. and so from there, I don't know how Javier got the the video, and he got a hold of me. He goes, "Hey," he goes, "Uh, your name is Mike Chavez Nebula." He goes, "Yeah." He goes, "Uh, we want to hire you for your sound system. We've seen the sound system that you have at this place that you had at the Burbank National Guard." Right, right. And I'm like, "How did you get a hold of it? I don't know who dubbed it. Right, right. Could have been Harpo. Remember Harpo? Yeah, yeah. I gave him, and he, Harpo would make copies for everybody. Harpo made copies." In case for people don't know, Harpo used to be part of Nebula. Right, right. And Harpo would grab all my cassettes and, and videos. Rosario. He would actually, yeah, yeah Rosario. Mm. And he would make copies of them and give them to girls so he can get laid and say, yes, I'm, <laughs> I run Mike Chavez. I this is Harpo. my company. <laughs> yeah, I remember him. Like, he's, he was, he's a great guy. I love the guy. Yeah, yeah. May he rest in peace. But he yes. was giving out cassettes saying that he mixed it, even though it would be like, hey, everybody, it's Mike Chavez, Nebula mixing. People yeah, yeah. know that's Mike pretending to mix. So, yeah. I don't know. Someone through his thing gave it to Javier. Javier got a hold of me. Boom. Javier said, if we're going to do a sound, we would love you to do sound. You want to go by Nebula? And I'm going to tell you something. If you take the time in your life and you keep the most important moments in your life to remember certain things that made big people great big. Mm-hmm. There was one time the Prince, he performed uh, back in the early 80s at the Coliseum. He opened up for the Rolling Stones. When Prince opened up for the Rolling Stones, he wasn't going to go there and just be a regular R&B band or whatever. He went there dressed in camel saw. He looked like a woman, man, woman, man, woman, woman, man, you know, yeah, yeah. And freaking, you know, mm-hmm. and he got, he got tossed at people threw stuff at him. They talked to him. He was on the front cover. I'll never forget this. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I re- read the article and his thing was, if you're going to start something, cause the biggest, biggest noise and controversy that you can because that's going to be all free exposure. Right, right. And you've got to be oh, somehow agree. opposite of who you're going to be with. So he totally was the opposite of the Rolling Stones that night. And even though that, but here's the funny thing, a lot of people talk crap about him. His record sales within the next month, he sold 70,000 units. Right. Just from that article. Oh, I believe it. I believe it. I, I heard. I think I kind of heard that story. He opened, yeah. He opened so now that long. you know that, mm-hmm. let's move to the future. And here I am talking to Javier. And I remember Javier telling me, there's this big sound company called Shredder. And he runs a company with JBL. And all of a sudden, the light bulb went boom, really big. I I remember this. Whoa. I remember this. You remember? Yeah, yeah. Go ahead. No, 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 please. I want to hear the rest. Oh, okay. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. So so right when Javier said Shredder, you already know, my mind was like already. And then when he said JBL, I said, oh, my God, this is is the the perfect storm. Because who's JBL's nemesis? Sermon Vega. Right. You know what I'm saying? Because back in the 80s and 90s, Everybody was always saying JBL is better, Thermavig is better. And I said, okay, that's already part of the magic right there. Mm-hmm. And then Javier says, so what? Are you going to use Nebula? And I said, no, we're going to use the name Master Splinter. <laughs> yes. And Javier just looked at me like Javier looked like a Mexican Vulcan from Star Trek. Literally, think of Mr. Fox, but with dark skin, with thick eyebrows. That's how Javier looked. <laughs> he was very intelligent. And he just looked right at me and he started like, he went from a, like a puzzle look. And all of a sudden he went from a puzzle look to like a madman scientist look. And he goes, I love that episode idea that is dope, Mike man. he loved it he goes damn and he says you and then all of a sudden i thought i was like 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 uh for mix a lot or or for, you know with the, the sword like right. he put a sword on my head and he goes and from this day forward you are <laughs> going to be known as master flinta and i'm like yeah. <laughs> that was i remember cool, that. that dude but we, you know? we the whole um the word got around and i'm like oh shit and you know it's funny i was already old enough to go on my own I'm like, no one's gonna tell me not to go um, I, I don't, for whatever reason I, that, that I don't remember why I didn't go, but it's one of those events again. I'm like, man, how could I fucking miss this? And it, it, it I mean, please continue. But you know what I mean? Like it was one of those things where like I, we heard it through the grapevine. You were going to battle the shredder. Shredder. And, yes. 
And to me, it was like, I was also in Vegas because, again, I was I used to go to your parties. I used yeah. to literally, you, you were all about in Vegas. And, and you also owned those, oh, my God, you owned those fucking stroker, the baseballs with the stroker woofers. Yes, dude. You know what? Okay, well, the cat's going to be out of the bag because only a handful know about it. But now people who are listening to this worldwide, right. if you love sound and you love bass, mm-hmm. stay tuned. Do not change. Hold on because in the next five minutes, I'm going to tell you some secrets about her bass. Oh, shit. All right? Just remind me, okay? Exclusive. <laughs> so for all you listeners out there that want to know about bass, you're going to be in for a huge... I'm going to talk in science talking about five minutes. So Go all you basses out there, you get ready because I'm going to put some crazy knowledge in your head. Go ahead, Rick. No, no, please. I want to... <laughs> Oh, okay. I'm waiting to. So ex- then, so all right. So so what happened was that so when Javier did this, so what does Javier do? You know, he's like he went so crazy. I remember on the on the on the flyer it was called uh, crap. Or where no, I'm trying to remember what the name of the flyer or the party, but that's not even important. Mm-hmm. The important part was on the flyer. He writes the biggest JBL walls ever assembled by Master Slinger. Instead of putting Slinger Vega, I guess his partner put JBL, right? Mm-hmm. And Javier got mad at Allen for putting JBL on Sir and Vega, but it caused a serve. And so it said Mass Winner JBL. And what did that do? It woke up the freaking giant called Shredder. And I remember, because we videotaped that event. I don't have the videotape. It's somewhere in Rosario's house. I got to find it. I, he got all our video. Right, May right. he rest in peace. Mm-hmm. But I remember videotaping that event. And I remember videotaping the guys of Shredder there looking at a rig. And, you know, they, they were like looking. And I, yeah, we were not, it was not a JBL system. It was all Sir and Vega. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we were young. I really felt like we were like literally a comic book from the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, Master Splinter, with, and I had my helpers helping me. We were just plugging shit in and blowing shit up without even knowing it. We were just trying to make the bus run, you know? Right, right, right. And uh, the Shredder, truth be told, he was a very well-tuned, powerful machine, well-tuned, you know? Mm-hmm. And he's seen us, but I'm not saying that we were a threat to him because there was a lot of people that couldn't even match up to him. But the only thing that I could tell you that he probably seen in me and me personally, mm-hmm. he probably... Just like Stern Vega, that he's like, if this guy keeps on at it, he's going to be a threat. You know what oh, I'm saying? See, like, if he's just not a threat to him, but he's going to be, or he's going to make an, uh, he's going to make an impact, a name in the industry, which we, you know that already we did. And right. so here comes uh, the thing. After that happened with the fiasco that night when Javier h- hired us, I blew like about, I had 20 carbon amps, the FET 100. Yes, uh, I remember those 900s. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, I had 20 of them. That night, we fried half of them. Like, no they literally caught on fire. Yeah. So wow. we took those fried back to Carbon, and we told them the situation that I'm doing sound and rays and blah, 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 blah. Mm-hmm. And so Carbon right away, instead of charging me, they took them all back. They fixed them all, and they modified them. So oh, that was wow. like, wow, that was a blessing. They modified them. Then I went to Cern Vega, and I already started learning about sound. And here we go. For all you sound buffs out there, we had 20 B36s. Each of them was loaded with an 18-inch, and it was called the EB. EB88, which is a very low-grade 18 at the time for San Vega. So when we went over there, I told them, you know, the sound didn't sound right. It, we needed to beef it up. And what, as I'm talking, God bless, you know, it, things happen for the weirdest thing. This guy named John Fairchild, we called him the mad scientist, <laughs> he comes down and he literally talks like, hey, Mike, I've been hearing your whole story. He sounded like the freaking dude from Back to the Future, like Rick and Morty. You know what I mean? Like yeah, yeah. that guy. Just picture the it like that. Got you it. know what I mean? Uh-huh. And he and John has beautiful deep blue eyes, you know, and his hair's all frizzy to the side. He kind of looked like a white Asian crazy dude with his hair all white to the side. <laughs> You're he so goes, descriptive, Mike. <laughs> yeah, dude. But you know, I, you know, you have to be because these people had a huge uh, impact in my life. Right, right, right. And so I want people to remember how I seen John. And John looked in, and he actually wore a freaking lab coat, a freaking I don't know if he had a spaghetti sauce or freaking burrito sauce or Taco Bell sauce right. all over it, like he just had lunch. So like he was an engineer man. at Southern Vega. He was one of the 
sound engineers, the designers. He was one of the main face sound engineers. Like okay. he, his job was to make her. So then he goes up there and, you know, we're already talking. You know how we're already talking with Stern Vega. So he goes back to Steven and talks to Steven. And Steven comes back and he goes, oh, you're doing your race. I like it. See, I remember when we met you last time and my father said, hook him up. And then right when Steve said, hook him up, John looked at Steve. John Fairchild looked right at Steve and goes, well, Steven, if your father said, let's hook up Mike up, let's hook him up with the Strokers. Mm. <laughs> and Steve, like, Steve just like, like almost pooped his pants because at that time, each Stroker was running about 700 to $1,000 a pop. Wow. Yes. And the Strokers are four ohms. 1600 watts continuous. You could plug a stroker into your outlet and it will uh, reproduce 60 hertz nonstop and it won't even fry the coil. Really? It had a dual fighter. Yes, dual fighter. The basket is made out of cast iron. It's made out of cast iron for the purpose to, that way that when that woofer got hot, when the coils got hot, mm-hmm. the cast iron would instantly pull the heat from the coils and allow that woofer just to scream all day long, all night. So our Stern Vegas are 300 watts continuous. Right, right. We had 20 of them. John and Stern Vega, actually Stern Vega, blessed us with 20 18-inch strokers. Dude, I remember they, those those, they, those strokers that the actual... The, the, what was the size of that magnet? It was like four inches thick and, and eight inches wide. I'm like, it was fucking tremendous. I know. Actually, I just looked into it. Okay. You're now, no, no, you, you got part of it right. Mm-hmm. They were the magnet were three inches thick and the diameter of the magnet, mm-hmm. are you ready? Was 15 inches. Get the fuck. I don't remember. Wow. 15 freaking inches. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> It was a 15-inch magnet with that three inches thick of magnet that was 15 inch in diameter behind an 18-inch basket woofer. So wasn't it dual or was it just one in there? It was uh, two one-inch-and-a-half magnets, like, almost welded. You know what I'm saying? Okay, got it, got it. Okay, okay. And so, and then it had a dual spider. It was made out of Kevlar, which is the same freaking material that stops bullets from going through your chest when you wear it. You know what I mean? Right, right. And then it had a gold pin in the middle. So most woofers have a, a dust cover. Mm-hmm. Hell no. This thing had a freaking uh, alloy aluminum gold pin. So you could actually set the, the frequency from 40 hertz, 30 hertz, up to 65 or 61 hertz. And wow. and so knowing John, John says, we're going to need your speakers for about four weeks because we got some crazy poo-poo to do, Mike. And so I'm saying the shit word, he's like, poo-poo. I'm like, okay. <laughs> I'm like, works for me. And it increased uh, each woofer weight, I believe, close to like 45 pounds. Wow. Yeah, each wow. one. So trust me, when we got them back, you can notice a difference right away in the weight. Mm-hmm. And it was all reinforced. It was like they totally recarpeted. They they use that uh, rhino finish on the inside. They structured it because they said that the woofer is going to create so much space that they had to make sure that the, the boxes would not fall apart. Right. And then the original base cabinets were 8 ohms. These sofas are 4. So if your amp was rated at 300 at 8 and 500 at 4, well, our boys were getting the full 500. Wow, you know what yes, I mean? Yeah, and yeah. increase the sound pressure level was stupid. At 1 watt per meter, 1 watt per meter, the sensitivity level was like about 105 to 107 of base alone. Oh. So all of a sudden, our next event we do, we plug it in, and it went from plop, plop, to boom, boom, boom. It just changed it, and, and, it was, and that it, right there, and it was that folded folded horn. So that that low end came out so different when it when it was a speaker was designed that way. Because I know JBL did the one with the full full woofer sticking out, and it, it did not sound the same in regards to the bass. Because like you said, it was a folded horn, so you're getting it. Almost feels like you almost got not only did you get the sound sound wave coming up, but you got the air. Well, that the sound wave that that low end slapping your face that what Stern Vega was known for. 
And yeah, and you know, the story behind that, the reason why they called them earthquakes is because back in uh, 1973, mm-hmm. Universal came up to Cern Vega because Cern Vega was a pioneer in a lot of stuff. People don't realize that Cern Vega was way ahead of the game, way ahead of JBL. I mean, mm-hmm. JBL is amazing, don't get me wrong. Mm-hmm. But Cern Vega was really doing some crazy experimenting stuff with bass and sound. Right. So Universal went up to Gene Stravinsky and they said, we're making a movie called Earthquake. And when people go see this movie, we want them to feel like, we want them to feel the real experience. Well, that's how the folded horn was created. It was actually created for that movie. Oh, okay. And when people actually went to see the movie, people were shit out of, they freaking ran out of theater. And then all of a sudden, the rumor started going around that there's a theater, and I think it was in Hollywood. I don't know if it was a Chinese theater or the Vogue theater back then, Mm -hmm. or the Egyptian theater. One of those big theaters was showing the movie Earthquake, and it was loaded with Fern Vega technology to throw that. Because earthquakes are known that if there's nothing, if there's walls in the way of an earthquake, they literally make the walls shake. You know what I mean? The walls will vibrate. That's what the speaker's known for, to make uh, anything, any platform that in its way is going to shake Dude, so and, and, and I remember it would, it would go beyond it would go way beyond what is it uh, 80 hertz is whatever it's I, I, I feel like a lot of these subwoofers the lowest would go down to 80 hertz or I mean these guys no, were, the, the, the strokers were going all the way down to like about 37 hertz 30 ah, that's 35 fun. and that's that's like you feel that that's when you <laughs> you probably don't even hear it I mean no, you don't even hear it. You're right. You're a producer. You know what I'm talking about. Yeah, it's yeah, more oh yeah. of a feel. It's a feel. It's a breathing apparatus. It's a. It's just breathing. That, right. it's, it's a monster breathing on you. Yeah. Like, but it, it when it breathes, it's like a grumbling breath. Yeah, yeah it's I not remember like, those. I remember those parties. I remember getting near those bass bottoms when you were. And we're not talking about the strokers. Yeah, I'm, I'm talking your regular parties with your your whole bass bottom setup. I remember getting close. I couldn't get too close to my ear. My eardrums would fucking hurt, and my chest would hurt. <laughs> Bro, Which, I mean, if you remember the stories back in the days in the raves, there was no, uh, not like there's a lot of regulations today, mm-hmm. but back then there was hardly no regulation. We had kids, we would stack the strokers, uh, we would stack them five or six across mm-hmm. with three on top, you know what I mean? So we had a wall of, of 18 strokers, 18 strokers, Fuck. a wall, three, six of them, six wide, three high, you know what I mean? Six, six, and six. And that, and just to top it off, kids would literally crawl in the speaker and sit on them while we're freaking going full on with bass. Wow, like you could literally see their shirts vibrating and i'm like uh you know in 10 minutes from now you ain't gonna hear a damn word that anybody says after this yeah you know and then when you stack bass that way you actually it doesn't just double it actually like triple folds like in power wise Mm -hmm. and you could feel the bass easily about if we did an outdoor we did a quite a few desert Mm raids, and we were told easily that our bass could be heard and felt five to ten miles away wow and you're definitely you know were pushing I mean? generators right that was all generators and shit oh yeah we we literally had like maybe maybe eight generators just to push all the strokers because the strokers were they were power hungry but when you <laughs> gave them the power mm-hmm. they returned they returned you very very well so if you gave them the proper amount of juice mm-hmm. everybody would love to hear the way they and again it was you're right too because there was a time when people started Master Splinter, the name, was becoming a hero for the entire San Fernando Valley. I remember. You know? Yeah, I remember that. You know, like, it was, we were the only ones representing San Fernando. L.A. had Shredder, Boom Boy, Tonka. They had uh, THX. They had, they had so many sound companies, you know, uh, 140 DB. Like, every sound company you heard was from Los Angeles. And the only one coming from the San Fernando Valley was coming from Sun Valley Burbank. Right. And if you think about it, a lot of amazing DJs came from Sun Valley. Like, a bunch of amazing DJs. Well, guess what? Sun Valley, San Fernando, and, and Burbank created their powerhouse sound guy, Master Splinter. You know what I'm saying? And all of a sudden, we mm. were just like people. Who, and then there was this uh, magazine called BTM 
PM, and we were on the magazine. We were featured on there. Oh, and that really? magazine is worldwide. Cool. Cool. I, I didn't know that, Mike. I didn't know that. Wow, that's cool. Yeah, and BPM put it display, and then all of a sudden we were we went from doing raves uh, within a hundred miles of Burbank to fifteen hundred miles of Burbank. We were traveling to Utah, Washington, Arizona. Wow. Dude, it was like the best time of my life. We were going freaking all over the place. You know, Colorado, Denver, base, like boom. That's all it was doing. You know, and that's what people paid us for. And uh, yeah. and honestly, to be honest with you, they. Whatever money that I charged, I would be lucky if I came home with maybe two or three hundred bucks after everything was done. Because I would pay the crew, the food, and and at that time when you're young, you're just having a good time. You know, the right. money is not really an issue. I I did need the money to maintain the gear, to make sure the crew was pe- uh, fed and paid, the truck rentals, especially when you go far. Man, you get hit when you when you got to pay mileage. Right. But it was just to a point where it was just great when I would go up to Utah. We went there like four or five times, and the first time, the event was sold out. It was like out in the forest somewhere. They sold out about 5,500 people. It was, and what was really cool back then, Vic, mm-hmm. is that the D-Days were not only just uh, the characters. The, the light guys had names, like Sam I Am, you know, all these gold ventures. And then Shredder was a name, and all of a sudden, Master Splinter was a celebrity name. So when people would see flyers, they knew if you were putting money into it. Like, if they seen the name Shredder, they're like, oh, dude, okay, this is going to be a good production, because they got good sound. Oh, they seen the what name Master Splinter? It's right. going to be a good production. You see what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. So when they seen big, those names were big bills, and those were the big draws because the DJs were drawing, but the kids, their thing was they just wanted to dance in front of a freaking hot. <laughs> You know, right. one thirty one dB plus decibel right into your face, and and it was in, in in those raves obviously consisted a lot of what would you would call techno and house and everything, right? It wasn't so much what was what was like in the eighties, right? It wasn't because there was a time where I'm not gonna say the old school sound ended because they never did but there was a, a at least i remember for the first early 90s to mid 90s everything went house or techno that's what and is that what your raves consisted of or yeah it was because you know what it was it's like this bro and i'm going to touch on this subject too really quick with you but it was a new generation a new electronic sound it was a new style of music mm-hmm. it was a lot more um okay trip out back in the 80s and i didn't do it thank god but people were always either getting drunk or doing cocaine in the 80s mm-hmm. and the music was pretty fast and all of a sudden here comes the 90s where the music went from you know 125 to 130 dB I mean beats per minute to mm-hmm. what what is it like 137 beats per minute right right you know like all that stuff and all of a sudden you didn't even need uh, oh and that's when freaking uh, that was also the birth the 90s was the birth of uh, rock art I mean Red, uh, Red Bull right Red Bull right, right. Red Bull was introduced and so people were getting freaking high in Red Bull ecstasy they were like and I was like tripping out like you, right. I got to see generation change which was amazing. The party scene changed and, yeah, uh, dramatically. It was, and I got to see it. I wasn't a D-Day really in the 90s. I was just the sound engineer. I went from mm-hmm. being a caterpillar into a kind of like a cocoon <laughs> into the rave, and then I butterflied later on in a photographer. Right. But So here we go. The rave scene just exploded, and I got to see two generations of amazing, amazing music. And you know what? We all know it. Taste people did. They didn't forget that music is therapy. And if yes. you're ever feeling down, Definitely. you just put on a song. And song is so powerful that it will stimulate certain times in your life, either happy or sad. And uh, that's what I love so much about. And I still love my 
my life very much in my family. Mm-hmm. And I, lo- I have a lot of love for you because I'm so proud of what you've done and, and the people that are around you. Uh, it's just great to be knowing each other, you know, especially with COVID. COVID has hopefully taught a lot of people yeah. you could be here today and gone tomorrow, you know. Yeah, yeah. And th- it's but, definitely affected uh, affected me, affected um, I'm obviously the whole the whole DJ industry. I mean, I used to, you know, I'm not trying to sound like I was all badass, but I, I my business was doing pretty well in the last I would say in the last 10 years as mobile DJ and, and but the pandemic came around, it, it, it shut down that part of my business, my, my side of the DJ. And I mean, you know, with understanding reasons that, you know, people can party, you know, they, they halls couldn't, I, I started getting calls <laughs> and people were like, look, could, could we postpone it? And, you know, at the time people were like, oh, it'll probably be done. This quarantine will be done in a month or two months or five months. Time passed and passed. Next, you know, people started calling me. It was like, could we get our deposit back? And I was understanding too, because I was like, well, this, this is beyond our control, mine, yours. So I started, I started uh, returning deposits, you know. But, but like I said before, the pandemic, business was was good. I, I was, I can't complain. I, my business was good, but it definitely affected me financially in regards to to that. Victor, let me tell you something for everybody who's listening to the show. You and I did a gig together. Even though I've been DJing all my life, we did a gig for uh, my nie- my niece, Alexis. Yes. And uh, they actually hired me to be the, not hired me, it was a gift. I did the photography. Mm-hmm. So I did the photography and you performed. So let me tell you something, and I'm being straight up. You gave one hell of a show. Oh, thank you, man. The floor was never empty. Never. It was never, ever, ever, ever empty. And I know. I got pictures of the floor packed, and you were humble. You got the people going. Your your personality just shined. And speaking of that, I just want to touch really quick on the D-Day basis. For all those D-Days out there, I'm going to tell you something. <laughs> Victor has history and myself that we started in vinyl. We played with records. Yes. We played, uh, and I, I'll go even further than that, Victor, before you even got, maybe you, you you know what I'm talking about. I was playing at one time with 8-Track. And then I went from 8-Track to recording all my songs on cassette. And then I bought my first belt drive JVCs. Wow. My SLB from Technique, all belt drive. And then I graduated. My mom helped me save some money. After the teddy bear night, literally no lie, after we made that crazy money on teddy bear night, mm-hmm. that I had money now to buy my first. And I, did, I went crazy, bro. I bought two pairs of 1200s with money from there and a new mark mixer. That was a booster shot. Yeah. But what I wanted to say is this for all the DJs out there, I know some DJs are stuck saying, Hey, the new DJs, they play off controllers and they play this. Here's the bottom line. And I think you and I, because we think alike in this, to me, I don't care what you play on, whether it's record, if you're playing with a CD uh, controller or your control deck off your laptop, mm-hmm. the bottom line is this if you got people dancing on the dance floor, and they love what you're doing, you're never going to starve. Exactly. The only people that will always, the oh, and remember this, everybody listening to this podcast, and share it, tell your friends to listen to this particular podcast. The only people that will ever, ever talk crap about you are the same people are in, that are in the same industry. Yeah. Period. Yes, <laughs> exactly. Oh my God, yeah, yeah. But you know what, That's, Mike? Those are the, go ahead, go ahead. Those are the only assholes that will talk crap about you that are in the same industry because they will be very jealous and envious of what you've accomplished with what you stuff. So, Victor, look, you and a couple of handful of DJs have seen my current that I've had in the last 10 years, my control deck. Mm-hmm. And a good friend of mine, Marco Time, he calls it the Toys R Us control deck. <laughs> You wow. know what I'm talking about, right? I know, I know what you're talking it's, about. It's Newmark. It's a Newmark it's model. Newmark, uh, the Newmark mixer or track, track, track. I forgot the name of it. And I still use it all the time. Right. But this little thing, 
literally looks like a toy. Mm-hmm. Now, if other people have seen it, they'll talk crap about me. And I know that a lot of my friends at first, they were like, look what Mike's showing up with. But then after they hear, they're like, holy crap, look what this guy's doing with that. So the right. bottom line is this. Whatever you show up into a battle, right. it's not what you show up with. It's how you perform with what you got. At the end of the day, yes, definitely. Oh, I definitely yeah. agree. Definitely agree. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And, and so the thing is, like, you know, whatever you have in your hands, people don't know. And the ones who don't care are the, the ones that are paying you. The ones that are paying you, all they care about is the end result. Right. So when people hire, you know, DJ Dream or Mike Nebula or this person, who, if he's playing with, you know, God bless him with all his old vinyl, mm-hmm. if that guy could keep the floor full, that guy has the juice. Right. If they hire this guy, they could play off of a mixed track or a little control deck, he mm-hmm. has the juice. And recently, I've been seeing DJs now, this is going to sound crazy, they're mixing off their iPhones now. They have this little uh, uh, app, mm-hmm. and it has like two little turntables, and they're, that's their deck. <laughs> I believe you know it, man. I, mean? I believe it. You know, and I look at this, I know, the reason why I know this is I'm a photographer, too. And I've been to a lot of weddings now where they don't even hire the DJ anymore. They hire this one guy that has a little freaking, you right. know, laptop, not even laptop, an iPhone, like an iPhone 8 or 10, mm-hmm. and it has the Apple with two little turntables and all the, all the music, and boom. Right. And that person is keeping the floor. So to me, I, I'm not going to knock that person because right. I don't want you know, but right. I'm proud that whoever, if you can make whatever happen in your hand, that you are the professional, not the gear. Yeah. And, and I, I'm glad because I'm glad in these times that there was a beautiful compromise for old school DJs like me. And again, I DJ with turntables still, but it, it's by choice. I, I, I don't, I have nothing against DJs using controllers or, or using even phones at this time. I, I believe it. My thing is, I also want to enjoy the night and I, I, there's something about me actually having a turntable and having that feel. Cause it's Serato. I ain't going to lie. I don't use vinyl, but it still gives you that real close feel of, of records, you know, other than taking them off and putting a new one. But I still like that feeling of the, the, that old school feel. And it's for me. But like you said, at the end of the day, I mean, you close your eyes and you're at a party and the guy's playing good shit. People are dancing. Who cares? I mean, who cares? I mean, I don't care. I really don't care. <laughs> Because you can also have a DJ that can have the top top of the line setup, and he, if he's no bueno, I don't care what he has. <laughs> he's no bueno, you know. It's like that's he's not good. So I definitely agree with you, Mike, on that. Um, and I've had, I've, I've had I have conversations with other DJs too, and you know they you know some of them might disagree to some extent, but I but like I said, I I stick to to what you just said. I was like, well, I mean, who who cares? I mean, you know, they're rocking the house. You know, at the end of the day, right? You know, when people hire Victor or they hire me. Or, or if they hire the person who's listening to the show, if they hire you, whoever you may be, they're going to hire you for your talent and for the way you make the crowd feel and, and the, the vibe that you keep going. They're not going to care how much or how little you spent on that year. As long as you do your job right, mm-hmm. I'm going to share a really cool thing that my grandmother, rest in peace, she shared with me. And now we're going to share this with everybody listening to your show, Rick. Mm-hmm. Mike, I'm, I'm sorry, Vic. This is what grandma told me. If you are really good at what you do, people will pay you for it. Yeah. True. So true. <laughs> yeah, I agree. I agree completely. And it's uh, it's funny. Hey, Mike, I got a, I got a funny story, man, in regards to, to, to gear. I actually did a gig. This is a while back. This is when I was using turntables and vinyl rarely, but I was using it for to play a lot of dance music. They'll hire me to, for play like old school disco and freestyle and i would, I would go you know what? i'm gonna go old school i'm gonna take my records I, at least just two crates or so and i remember i had this i had this party and i had this guy came up to me and he had this this uh, pretentious attitude this very snobby which is i don't know why i don't know how 
he, he came up to me and he's like, hey, man. He looked at me, he looked at my gear and he goes, oh, you still use vinyl? And I'm like, yeah, really? And I'm like, yeah. And he's like, well, I know some DJs that use CDs at the time. CDs were taking over. I'm all, oh, that's cool. That's cool. He goes, it's just, and I'm like, he, he made it sound like I was old. He did not realize that. It's by choice. Like I had CD players. I had Denon. You know, Denon was good for dual CD players with pitch and everything. But I wanted to take my turntables for certain gigs. <laughs> he would tell me that. And he's like, oh, well, that's kind of like I felt like he was trying to belittle my game. And he's like, he doesn't understand that it's by choice. I chose to bring turntables because I want to enjoy the night because they, the person that hired me wanted me to play some old school stuff. And I'm like, what a better way to enjoy it when going back at the time. You know, this is, like I said, this is before Serato. Because if I had Serato already, I wouldn't have taken my records. But it was one of those things, and, and it's funny how some people have a. And this wasn't a DJ. This was just a regular guest, and I, and that then I never forgot that. It was like, wow, you, you're thinking that I did it because I can't afford nothing new. I wasn't up to date, not realizing that is to me that was the that was fun to me, you know. That and, and honestly, Mike, to this day, that's just the reason why I DJ with Serato because it it takes me back to me. Because like you said, I can always go buy a controller, and I've used controls. I own a controller. So I can easily just take my control and use it, but I I I'd rather take my turntables. Is it is it more work? Probably. I ain't taking records though. <laughs> it's like a happy compromise for me. You know what I mean, bro? You know what? I'll tell you. You're gonna laugh, but bro, I still got a big big chunk of my sound system from the raves. Actually, a lot, I sold a lot of the older stuff and I replaced it with newer stuff. Mm -hmm. And the reason why I haven't been able to buy records, I mean not records, turntables or Serato or anything like that. Mm -hmm. You know, she can't hear me. She's in the room. My wife would kill me if I added more space or, at, or took away more space from the garage. Wow. She would kill me because right now I still have a big enough rig, sound rig, and a beefy sound system. I could do a show right now outdoors for about 3,500 to 5,000 people. Really? No lie. Wow. Yeah. I still have enough firepower to do that. Do I get tempted to buy more stuff? It's in my blood. It's in your blood. Yes. <laughs> people who are, it, it, we're hoarders when it comes to that kind of stuff. You know what I'm saying? Like, if you have a passion for whatever it is, I don't care what it is. If you have a passion for being a tennis player, you're going to have a shitload of tennis rackets. Talk to guitarists. They got more guitars. They don't got enough hands a freaking rapper with guitarist, you know? Right. Talk to people, myself, a photographer. I got about maybe $20,000 of uh, camera gear, you know? Right. When you become, when you have a passion of what you do, you kind of go nuts and, and you just, it becomes like a, I don't want to say a disease, but like, uh, you know what I'm saying? Like, yeah, you can help me with the vocabulary. <laughs> but so, my wife would kill me and she'd go, cabron, what'd you get now? You have enough, you, you know what I mean? Like, and so <laughs> cabron, it's like, I like that, cabron. Yeah, yeah, so I'll leave it alone because right now I'm talking to you where I live in Bakersfield, mm -hmm. you know, um, um, really quick, I wanted to touch on something. You know, when uh, COVID was hitting, mm -hmm. I lost a lot of... I, I didn't do that much D-Day gigs, but I lost every D-Day gig, and I understood. Mm -hmm. But you know what? To everybody out there, I'm glad I started my photography when I did this. Because okay. when COVID was at its peak, photography still paid our bill, and okay. it still is right now. Wow, that's cool. And man. even at the worst time of COVID, before COVID, I was averaging six to eight gigs a month. Wow. A month. And then when COVID hit at its peak, I was doing maybe two minimum a month. Minimum. Wow. And, that, and it was that's, and that's, that's impressive because it, I mean... I mean I would imagine it would have it would have really affected all of us as a whole as a whole services in regards to weddings and well, all that. But no, that's good. Exactly. Cool. Well, yeah. But see, you know what, bro? The thing is that you got you know. Look, Vic. There's not that many people like you and myself right now listening to the show. There's a couple of special people right now out of the tens of thousands that is listening to this podcast. Mm -hmm. There's only a few right now that are going to get what I'm going to say. When you have to survive, you have to be creative in your marketing skills. You have right. to be creative how you talk to the clients. You got to be creative, like letting them know, hey, you know, I know COVID is bad. 
side, but I wear a mask. I'm going to be out here. I'm not going to even be close to your clients. You're going to be six feet away from me. I don't have to get close to you. And all of a sudden, you spark a light bulb in them, and they're like, you know, we can have a quinceanera. We'll just spread everybody apart. We'll have the photographer. And I was able to turn gigs that were going to cancel into paying gigs. Well, now, that's... not that they paid, you know, they didn't pay the same. They did pay less, mm. but I still turned it into something. So mm. no lie, I was able to go that night and make sure I was able to get at least food on the table for the next two or three weeks. Wow, you know God. what I'm saying? And pay yeah. something. Well, you know what? On my, on my end, um, like I said, unfortunately, um, I and I, I also have another DJ partner that, that had gigs and he's his parties got canceled and thus makes me lose business as well because he used to hire me for those parties. So like, practically the DJ business really got shut down on my end. But, you know, one bad thing, something good. I, I don't know if this is the proper phrase. One bad thing lead to a good thing. And in regards to COVID, um, obviously, I, I always had mad love to producing music. And I always had it in the back burner because I was so caught up in DJing my, my business. And so one thing came out of this is like I, I honed on my skills. I, I, I started, you know, going back to actually start making music the way I wanted to because now I had the time. And I'm going to be quite honest, Mike, 2020 in regards to me making music is the best year for me. I, you know, I, I had a hit. Uh, and, and what I mean by hit, not so much radio play. And I'm not saying, but it was a hit to, to me. I got radio play for it. I have over 10,000 views on YouTube. One of my songs that's out there. I have a couple of remixes out there that that, uh, that are coming out very soon. Uh, one of them is with DJ Juanito. He gave me the opportunity to make a remix for the Feel So Good 25th anniversary. And I'm on the actual record that's going to be coming out very soon. And I feel blessed. And, I'm, and you know what I mean? It's one of those things like, wow, this year, as you can look at it, it's a very negative way of, which of course it is pretty sad things that happen. But, you know, there's also positive things that came out. And to me, it's like I had to put the DJ part of it down. And now I'm picking back making music. And right now I'm I've got a few projects coming up because I honed up my skills and, and went back to producing and remixing. So I'm, I'm very happy and fortunate that, you know, a lot of these cats, the old, you know, the cat, like I said, Juanito and there's a couple of cats that I know from uh, New York. They called me up and, you know, there's things that kind of like you said, there's moments in life where things just connect and happen and you're at the right place at the right time. And of course, you know, your skills are going to back you up. And I'm very blessed well, you know, that happened. You know, one of the big lessons that COVID has brought upon a lot of people in any industry, it caused you to change and to adapt. Yes. So if, if you're an entrepreneur, a true entrepreneur, a true survivor of whatever it may be, COVID has brought you to that level. Other people, unfortunately, they let go. They're, their business crash and stuff. I mean, your business, my business, a lot of people. But COVID, for me personally, and I'm speaking for myself, but and I'm sure a lot of people can relate to this, has pushed me to learn different things, different styles. Because, you know, COVID, honestly, Vic, if I'm going to be honest on this part, I think COVID is the beginning of things that might yet to come. We better learn from this disease. Yes. And what this causes we have to mm -hmm. we have to learn from what just happened because this is just the beginning it's like a saga you know this is just chapter one there's maybe a couple more to come this way but hopefully as a human race we've learned you know how to hopefully get along with each other better and work things together and work as one because at one time for maybe a, a short period of mankind for maybe a week or so or maybe a month i could you know i'll give mankind the benefit of the doubt we were working together as a human race and all of a sudden when people started discovering oh COVID ain't as bad as everybody. Then once people started thinking that COVID wasn't as bad, they started becoming who they were before. 
Right. And that was the bad part. You know, they started doing their own bad habits. Right. And COVID has taken a lot of wonderful people away from us, from you, from people who are listening to the show mm-hmm. all over the world. They, COVID has robbed a lot of lives and made a lot of misery. But also for a lot of people out there that are listening, it also caused us to adapt and to prepare ourselves. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure that that has happened in your side of town, yes. your side of the woods. Oh, yes. It, all over the world. Mm-hmm. You know, but on the bright side, though, I have been watching and listening to your music. I've been seeing a lot of your selfies that you, you do when you're singing. I go, man, this guy's all out. <laughs> okay, that's for fun, Mike. That's just for fun. <laughs> but hey, man, I'll tell you. I look at that and I, I think just, you're singing to me, but I'm like, okay, he's singing to me. <laughs> You know, I, I go. I'll go to a bar. I'll go to a bar and I go. Look what my boyfriend's saying to me. He's like this guy. He's crazy. <laughs> and then I, I show oh, you video to a lot of people. And oh, I no. Say, no, you don't, Mike. You don't do that, do you, Mike? No. <laughs> <laughs> One million dollars. Oh man. <laughs> Man. But you I, know what? I just uh, go ahead. Man. No, I'm just saying. I, I mean, honestly, I do that for fun, and I've trust, trust me, I get, I get a, I get a bunch of crap from my cousin too. My, you, I don't think you met my cousin Eddie. He, he's like, oh, dude, he, he, he does that typical. Who sings that? And I'm like, oh, this guy. Well, leave, let him sing it. Like, leave it alone. I'm like, <laughs> <laughs> don't ruin the song. Don't ruin you the know song. what? Do it. You said something right now. You do it because you like it. Right. So everybody out there, look. You do. People out there that are listening, you do what you love. Right. And as long as you love what you do. It's going to stimulate your mind and your body. You're going to be a happy person. And if you could be happy just doing what you do, right. don't let no one else bring your party down. Right. If you feel like going out there and singing and in the car and doing what you do all the time, Vic, and I'm thank God I don't do that, but I do dance a lot <laughs> in the studio. You know what I mean? You know, I dance funny. You know, it's, I don't mm-hmm. care. I dance with the twins. I got identical right. twins. Both of them are diagnosed with autism. They love to dance. And when I put on dance music, we will nonstop dance easily, easily for a half hour. And for them, that's a long time. Wow. But we play everything. And these boys listen to old school, disco, death metal, hip hop, wow. country. You know, we have a huge palette of music. But you know what? Come to say, I think the palette of music, people, DJs, and I don't mean, I'm not, I'm just going to speak for our generation. The mm. DJs from the 80s, I think that we probably have one of the best palettes of music. Because we grew up with everything. Yes. And you know what, Vic? Yes. I'm going to tell you this right now. For everybody listening to right now, let me tell you how it was in the 80s. There was a time in the 80s, a time in music, when people of all race and all color would go to one big event and dance, dance. together. Yes, dance. Like, <laughs> dance. And nobody was looking at somebody else. We would look at, you know, like this brother over here doing some crazy moves. And we'd be like, wow. And then we look at this white dude over there. And we go like, wow. We look at those Asian dudes doing the Norda track. Or remember the, the <laughs> pool. We'd be like, wow. And then we look up. Everybody was wowing each other. Right. You know what That's I mean? That's true. That is true. Everybody was wowing. And we enjoyed it. And we would laugh. And then all of a sudden, I don't know what happened in the 90s. It, you know, it was so good. But then towards the end of the 90s, something changed. Mm-hmm. And it feels like as of today, a lot of people are, even though they have social media, it almost feels like social media kind of segregated us or segregated. Yes. Am I saying that right? Segregated. Like, you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Like it actually caused a separation. But right. back in the, in the, in the 80s, dude, there was, it was really true when they said unity. A lot of people would throw events and have a great time with each other. And it didn't matter the color of your skin. All that mattered was the size of your heart is really what it was. Right, right. Hey Mike, so we, before we uh, we bore, uh, we're almost running out of time. What is Mike Charles doing right now? What do you got going, Mike? Well, right now, as, and I'm not lying, as I'm talking to you, I actually walked into the garage and I am staring at my sound system. 
right. like a wall of dual 18s all the way across. I still have those big, humongous spruce moose horns. That's four of them alone. I used at the, the Rose Bowl for 22,000 people. I'm looking at all this stuff right now. And uh, I'm just like, you, that question you just threw, I wish I could do stuff like that. But it does, it's not like that anymore. So what am I doing now? Mm-hmm. I'm really heavy into photography. I really, really love photography the way I love my DJing mm-hmm. and the way I love doing sound. Okay. And I'm glad that I was able to adapt. And I still have a lot of love, and I always will. I have a deep love for DJing. I have a deep love for all the DJs out there. I have a deep love for people who do sound, producers. I mean, we even played one of your songs at a disco show that we did what, a couple of years back. Yes. And everybody was dancing to your song, to your song. They were dancing yeah, to yeah. it. Yeah, yeah. Oh, believe me, it was such a you natural know? high, man. It just it sounds especially you loud know? in the loud system. It's awesome. It's awesome. It's a great feeling. Yeah, and everybody loved it. Everybody cheered you on. And right now, my love right now is photography. And here's something that is going to throw your, it's going to put you in a little loop right now. When I was growing up, I always wanted to do something that would make an impact. I always wanted to be like an actor. Why? Because you'll never be forgotten because of his movies. Or I wanted to be somebody famous because you'll never be forgotten. Right. Well, I was never that person per se. But what's cool about my photography, that when I leave this planet and I die, my work is still going to be living. Somebody's going to grab a picture of a, right. that I took mm-hmm. of a couple or un huelito or huelita and they're going to look at that picture and that picture is going to live forever and I took that shot and that to me right there man that is like a crazy high that every time that I do photography I'm always thinking like wow my photography work is going to live beyond my life yes. and this is the coolest coolest feeling ever because I always wanted to do that I always wanted to make a I always wanted to make a positive impact on people even when I post stuff on Facebook you know we all have a responsibility I don't like post anything negative there's already enough negativity out there so every time I put something out there, I just try to put something that would be a little lifting and just a little bit of a special sauce into somebody's life. I'm not the negative person. I don't like, or I try not to be, but that's what I'm doing right now. And I'm living my life day by day, being in my mid fifties. I just appreciate life more and more because I can tell you this right now. I probably have more life behind me than I do in front of me. Mm-hmm. And I remember a good friend told me that. So I'm repeating what he shared to me. He says, Mike, when you get older, you're going to have more of your great times behind you and, and two of them in front of you. So the ones that come up, you enjoy that like you, you know, enjoy it as much as possible. Right, right. So, you know, and and when you called me about doing this uh, podcast, I was excited. I was really, really excited because I go, wow, okay, somebody wants to hear me out. This is cool. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Like I said, I had to have him on the show because, like I said, you definitely were a footprint in my coming up as a DJ. Like I said, I I saw you as a mentor. I saw you, you know, um, I don't know if you remember, you DJ for my daughter's, my daughter's, my sister's uh, very small birthday gathering because at the time my dad was supposed to be sick and he eventually passed away. A couple of months later, but you, you went to our house and you DJ for us for a couple hours, like I said, because like I said, my dad was kind of sick already. And it was one of those things where like, eh, just just a couple of mm-hmm. hours and you showed up and, and you DJ for us. Um, and I'll never forget that. And I remember I already had a sound system. You actually plugged into my sound system and, you know, you let me play a couple, you know, but I, I'm going to be honest. I, for what I remember, I didn't know how to play yet, you know, but I was just the fact that like, wow, Mike Chavez is here and he's going to let me spin. You know, that's how I saw it. And, you know, and from there on, you know, obviously I learned. And as I went, you know, I started going to your, your flyer parties, the ones that I could make it to. And, and if you remember, I used to I used to help you, too. I mean, there was a couple parties that I actually I, I would help you go get the stuff from your storage. You let me drive your van. And I remember you had <laughs> fully loaded with base bottoms in certain Vegas. Like, I think I think one of those parties you go go get go you know go get the speakers and this and that i remember i took two trips because all your goddamn speakers wouldn't fit in the van <laughs> it was like were you because i'm like okay mike here they are he goes okay you need to make another trip i'm all 
oh, this is not, this is, this is not it. And he goes, no, go get, <laughs> go get the rest. I'm all, shit. I was like, okay. I, and, I, and that was funny because I was like, oh, it's funny. All I got is baseball. So I wonder if, no, I was like, go get the, go get the tops. now. I'm all, fuck. But anyways, no, it, but other than that, it was great times, man. It was good times. I'll never forget them. Well, if you don't mind me, if I could do a quick shout out for anybody out there, if you want to see my photography work, go to Instagram and check out Mike Nebula on Instagram or on Facebook, Mike Nebula, and you'll see a little combination of DJ work and, um, and of course, photography. So again, that's Mike Nebula on Instagram and Mike Nebula on Facebook. And, you know, whenever you want me back, brother, yeah, just, well, definitely. You know, let me know. Yeah, uh, definitely. Uh, yeah. And it's funny because I was about to ask you, where can we find you? And, and you, you got there. <laughs> You got, you got there before me, but uh, Mike, thank you very much. I thank you. I really appreciate you coming into the show, and uh, I will definitely want you back on the show because, like I said, I've, I I like to tell all my guests that I would want everybody to come back. You know, we covered a fraction of things we went through, you know, experiences, and, and history, and and your know how in certain things. You know, again, I want to thank you, Mike. And I uh, hope you have a great evening, and uh, I will talk to you soon. Much love to you, Victor. Ochoa, Mr. DJ Dream, and to all your listeners out there, thank you for allowing me to be on the show. And, Victor, you're an amazing individual. You keep on doing what you love, brother, and thank you as well for the inspiration. Great. Thank you. Thank you, Mike. You have a good night. Peace, my brother.